The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. well in the third service. So uh, thank you, Misty, for sharing with us. First of all, let me take a moment to thank you for the privilege of being at First Baptist Church of uh, Pelham to uh, preach for you on uh, uh, this day. Uh, I know your pastor, uh, your former pastor, Mike, and, uh, and I am a very close friend of your former interim pastor, Dr. Charles Carter. And uh, in fact, he and I just finished doing a uh, interim together at the First Baptist Church of uh, uh, Birmingham. We were there for two years together doing a joint interim. We've never done that before. I've done seven other interims. I've never done a joint interim, but uh, Charles and I got along well, and uh, it was good for the church, and uh, it was good for us, and we had a great time together, and I appreciate his his friendship. He begins today at the First Baptist Church of of Opelika, and uh, we Pray for him as he preaches there. Let me invite you to uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, to a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 11 through 24. And this is called, uh, so often, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, a parable has the intention of uh, focusing to share one message or has one focus And the focus here is really a focus upon God's love. It is a parable of God's love. So let us hear together God's word as we listen to uh, Luke, the 11th chapter, uh, the 15th chapter, verses 11 through 24. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him... His living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous and reckless living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Listen to verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. and Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word and may we bow together as we pray. Almighty God, how grateful we are that our God comes to us to remind us of how important, how very important we are to him. And we pray, our Father, that as we focus upon your word this morning, that it may speak to us again and remind us of your word to us that calls us to be people who can claim our worth and who can affirm the worth of others and who can know and understand our worth before our God. The strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, we do offer our prayer. Amen. You are a person of worth. You are a person of worth. Wonderful story about a young man who was uh, delivering newspapers, had a paper route, we used to call it, in Mobile, Alabama. And he was a sharp young man and an enterprising young man, I'm sure became a great entrepreneur. Because he watched and he knew his neighborhood and he saw a moving van in the neighborhood. So he said, there's a new customer. So he goes to the home, knocks on the door and the lady uh, answers the door and uh, he says, I see you're new in our community. And she said, yes. And uh, they spoke for a moment and then he said, uh, well, I deliver papers uh, and uh, I'm sure you'd like to have the newspaper delivered to you. See what he said? You know what I sell. I'm sure you'd like to have the newspaper delivered to you. She said, well, yes, I would. How many of you have ever had a, a, a paper route? Any of you? Look at this. They're about out of business now. But this young man said, uh, well, here's what you do. And he told her how much it cost. And uh, he was leaving. The only thing he didn't do that he should have done is he didn't give her his name. And so as he was getting ready to leave, she said, by the way, what's your name? And he stopped and he pulled himself up to just full stature. He said, yes, I should have told you that. She said, uh, my name is John Wayne. And she said, well, that's a very famous name. She said, uh, he said, well, it surely ought to be. I've been delivering papers in this neighborhood for over five years. Now, there was a young man who understood something about his worth and his value. He said it ought to be an important name. I've been delivering papers in this neighborhood for over five years. I want you to look at with me at this scripture and to realize that you and I are persons of worth. That you are a person of worth created in the very image of God. And I believe that throughout the scripture you can find verification that this is true the worth of every individual to our God. Why would Christ have the ministry that he had to so many countless people and to so many different circumstances unless you and I were persons of worth and value? Why would Christ weep over Jerusalem in their sins and have compassion for them if it, they did not matter to him? Why heal the sick and and the lame and the blind if they were of no worth? Why feed the poor and befriend the stranger and look after those who have fallen by the wayside 
if they were of no worth? And then the ultimate question. Why would God's only begotten son hang on a cruel cross for you and for me if we were not persons of great value and great worth? You are a person of worth to your God. So let me suggest to you three things for us to think about this morning, to look at this scripture in light of that. That first of all, you are a person of worth to yourself. You know what? One of the greatest problems that young people have in their lives and in their living is being able to have their worth affirmed. To realize that they are important. And they do all kinds of things to get affirmation. Some that are good and some that are bad. But I want you to understand, young people, that you are a person of worth. Now, you say, well, you know, doesn't the Bible say that, uh, that, uh, that we are, are supposed to deny ourselves? Yeah, the scripture says, let a person deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'm not saying that we are going to deify Individuals, and we're going to deify man, but I'm simply saying that we are persons of worth. William Barclay says about this passage of scripture, he says, This self denial that he writes of is to let God be supreme in your life. It does not mean that you're not worth anything, it does not mean that you're not important or that you lose all distinctiveness. It simply means that when you say, Let a man deny himself and take up his cross, it means that God is to be supreme in your life. And so you can be a person of worth by allowing God to be supreme in your life. Most of us have a difficulty accepting our worth. We really do, and young people really struggle with this. And I think one of the greatest things that we as parents can do, or grandparents, or we as significant people in the lives of young people, is to help them have their worth affirmed. But we are persons of worth, but we have difficulty accepting that. I sat there just during this wonderful meditation music that our pianist and our organist, who may have gone out because she's got to come back again, were playing. And I thought, boy, that is really beautiful. And it was. So when somebody pays you a compliment, just say thank you. We have such difficulty accepting our worth. I promise you at First Baptist Church of Pelham today, it's already happened. If not, it'll happen in the next service or at the next Sunday school hour. Somebody will walk up to another friend and say, oh, that is a beautiful dress you have on. And you'll say, oh, this old thing, I got it out of my closet, it's been there for years. Why not just say thank you? They said, it's a pretty dress. Just say, thank you. You know, you're playing tennis with somebody and you make the greatest shot of your life and it goes right down the line and it wins the set for you. And your partner says, great shot. And you say, oh, I was lucky. Just say, thank you. I was a great shot, wasn't it? You are a person of worth. And we need to be able to 
accept our worth. We need to be able to simply say thank you. I appreciate the compliment. I'm not talking about pride here or arrogance. You know, the guy who wrote his book, My Humility and How I Attained It. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about simply claiming our worth. You and I are created in the image of God. His own image. Have you ever realized that you are the best that God could do? You are the crown of his creation. You are created in his image. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. We are not always good, but our value in his sight is extremely important. You're a person of worth created in the image of God. You are the crown of God's creation. And we need to be able to claim our own worth. Secondly, you are a person of worth to others. Part of this parable is the description of this young man in his foolishness and his horrible sin and his confession and his repentance. But the point of the parable is that the father who is God, who represents God in the parable, the point of the parable is that God responded to this young man as God always responds to his children when they fail and they fall short. This young man said, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I am no more worthy to be called your son. And he headed back home with that speech in his mind and when he got home and his father met him, he spoke the speech again. Twice it's repeated in the scripture. He says, I've sinned against heaven and you and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And then after he meets the father, he says, and they've embraced he says the same thing. The reaction of the father in the parable, as he responds, his response, is that of God responding to our wayward, sinful lives. It is God's grace reaching out to touch our lives. God accepts you regardless of your failure. I want to say that to you very carefully again. Whether you're in the balcony or whether you're down here, wherever you are, God accepts you in spite of your failure. He is a God of grace. All of us, folks, every one of us, are people whom God loves. And you and I are sinners saved by grace. You and I are sinners saved by grace. Grace that is greater than our sin and our guilt. Your relationship to others is important. You're a person of worth to others. How about your family? Young people, sometimes you say, I, I, I'd like to divorce myself from my family. And sometimes young people do. 
that's a mistake. Because family accept you even when you make mistakes. Friends accept you when you make mistakes. After 9-11, or at that time of its happening, the phone lines were jammed all across our nation. and People couldn't communicate, and they were trying to communicate as loved ones, as family, trying to find out about other family because they cared about them. Are you okay? It looked like the world was, was coming apart, and we wanted to know if those we loved and cared about were okay. Because you are a person of worth to others. Friends, good friends, real friends are like that. An English publication once ran a, uh, a contest to uh, get the best definition for the word friend. And here's the winning definition. A friend is one who comes in, who comes in when all the whole world has gone out. Family and friends come in when the whole world goes out because you're a person of worth to others. During the summer of 1976, seemed like a long time ago. Some of you folks weren't even born then, I'm sorry. But I was traveling back and forth, Paul, to Southern Seminary. I'd gone to start the Brookwood Baptist Church and uh, had a great church, wonderful church, stayed there 25 years. Fellow stays at church 25 years in a Baptist church, ought to have medals on his chest. And, uh, but uh, great church. But my church said to me after being there for, uh, I said to them, I said, I'd like to get my doctorate. So we made, they made arrangements and they paid for it and uh, I was flying back and forth for three summers, back and forth to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, during each summer. Seminary didn't meet on Monday, and so I would uh, fly out on Monday evening and fly back on Friday evening. So I flew back in, in this schedule I was on, I flew back in one Friday night, got to Birmingham Airport, went to get my bag, and uh, of course, well, not of course, but it was gone, wasn't there. I didn't care, I was glad to be home, see my home, my family, and my, my children, and. Uh, get to my work, and, uh, and I said, well, just send it to the house. Late that evening, uh, the, uh, somebody rang the doorbell, and I went to the doorbell, and, and uh, to the door, and there was my gray suitcase sitting there. Then I tipped the guy and said, thank you, and glad to get my suitcase back. Well, my secretary came in on Saturday, and we had a long day together working, and, and she did this for, for three different summers. Great lady. Nancy Crane, she's gone on to be with the Lord now, but uh, preached on Sunday morning, Sunday night, did all the stuff, meetings, and met with staff on Monday, and, uh, and then Monday afternoon late, got on a plane, flew to Louisville, Kentucky. Got in Louisville that following Monday about, I don't know, 10.30, 11 o'clock, it was late. Went to get my bag, and guess what? It wasn't there again. And I was not like you. I didn't go raising a lot of cane and fussing and fuming and, and, and just throwing a fit. I, I went very calmly and I said, look, 
I, I'm, I'm over at the seminary and, and I, I've got a, a, a small apartment there and I said, I, I, need, I need this bag because it's got all my clothes in it. It's got a couple of books in it that I need. And, and I said, can you just please find it for me? And uh, they said, we'll do that. We'll send it out there to you. Well, I went back, got to my apartment been there about uh, oh an hour I guess it was got, it was 12 15 12 30 on my door I went to the door and here's a guy dressed in a cabbie outfit he's got the hat on with all the badges and everything all over it and uh, got the name on his sh shirt here and uh, and he said I've got your bag I said Wait just a minute. And I went back in. I got him $5. This was 1976, folks. And I tipped him $5 and said, thank you so much. I brought my gray bag in and laid it down the bed and fixed to open it. And looked on the handle. And there was a red, blue, and white heavy plastic tag. It said VIP. Very important person. I wore that tag out for my travel for nearly 20 years till it finally just fell into pieces. They never, ever lost my bag. Very important person. You are a person of worth to others. And I became a person of worth to others because of a VIP tag. The third word from the scripture is that we are most importantly a person of worth to God. You're a person of worth to yourself, a person of worth to others, but most importantly a person of worth to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal, never-ending life. How could God say it better for all of us? You and I are so very important to our God of such value that Christ died that we might live. How do you measure value? How do you measure a person's life? God thought you and me of such infinite worth that Christ died for us. Would Christ and he invites us to be his disciples. Would he, would he surround himself with, those, with people of no worth and no value? Absolutely not. We are people of great worth to our God. We are persons of worth. I'm not saying that we uh, try to make ourselves equal with God. Not by any means. But you are valuable and important in God's sight. Paula, there's a little chorus we used to sing for the little children Sunday school and Bible school, and we'd sing, it says, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. God loves us, cares for us, concerned about what happens in your life and in your life and in your life and in my life. And the reaction, the response of the father to the prodigal son. And by the way, folks, it could have been a prodigal daughter as well. It didn't have to be a son. 
Could have been a prodigal daughter. There have a lot of been a runaway daughters. Still happening today. But the response of the father is the response of God responding to the sinner who is returning repentant. And, and notice what happens. The scripture says that he saw him a great way off. I don't know that this is in the, well, this isn't in the scripture. I know that. I don't know if a commentator has ever said this, but I think this. I think the guy, the father, went to the porch of his home every afternoon and sat and watched the road until maybe the sun went down in hopes, in hopes that his son would come home. And one day, he was rewarded. He sat down in the rocking chair on the front porch, if that's the way it happened. I like it. Sounds good. I think it could be. Used to have front porches and rocking chairs. And he saw him afar, way afar. And God, the Father, took the initiative, ran and fell on his, on his neck, the scripture says, and kissed him. You know, fathers, anything wrong with hugging your son? And saying, I love you. He gave him a kiss on the cheek and said, son, you've returned. And then the son says, I have sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then the father says, I want you, my servants, to get a robe and put on his shoulders. And he said, I want it not only to be a robe, but I want it to be the best robe. If you put it in Framework of suits, you could say a heart chapter and mark suit, the very best. But a, a robe was a symbol of honor. And then he said, put a ring on his finger. And a ring was a symbol of sonship. He brought him back into the family. And shoes on his feet. Because shoes were the symbol of freedom. Put shoes on his feet. He's not a slave. He has shoes on his feet. He's a free man. Comes back in, in confession and repentance and sorrow. And God, the Father, restores him. There's an old Negro spiritual. It's been around a long time that says, all God's children got shoes. We are all alike and we're all free under our God. All God's children got shoes. And that's what his love says to us. There's a sign of freedom, a sign of honor. There's a sign, a symbol of, 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 of sonship that comes. This parable affirms our worth and our value before God. Even more, it affirms God's never-ending love for us. You and I are recipients of God's marvelous, marvelous, marvelous grace. God sees us as wayward children, as a prodigal daughter or a prodigal son, but his love is not diminished. God is not interested in wounded pride or resentful recriminations or you have to do this and have to do that in order to get back into good status. 
God only asks for the opportunity to lavish his love and his care and his compassion on his wandering children. And young people, let me remind you, when you think and you struggle and you get lost, there's no place like home where parents will love you and accept you and surround you with their love. But you and I, all of us, are persons of worth to God. When you are in need of being restored to God's fellowship, and you, all you need to do is to turn to him in repentance and confession and find his marvelous grace. You're a person of worth to yourself, a person of worth to others, and a person of worth to God. Dr. Glenn Henson was a professor at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, professor of church history. When I was in seminary, and then he was teaching in a seminar when I was there doing my doctorate, my D-man. We went to class, about 15 of us. We were all professional ministers. We were from scattered across the southeast, and we were there doing our doctoral work. And he said, Guys, I want you to put away your pad for a minute. I don't have any notes. You don't need to write this down. But he said, I want to tell you something happened to me. And Dr. Glenn Henson said, we were at home over the weekend. Didn't have any obligations, any responsibilities, and uh, we were just having a great time at home. He said, I was seated in my favorite chair with a book in my lap. And my wife was seated in her favorite chair, and she was crocheting, doing some knitting. We have a six-year-old son, Chris, who was sitting on the floor playing with something, and a little daughter, three years old. Said, just a great family scene. Peaceful, content, great. And Chris, the six-year-old, says, I'm dumb. I'm no good. I'm not worth anything. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. Lynn Henson said he dropped his book in his lap and he looked over at his wife. And you know how husbands and wives sometimes communicate without really saying anything. And he's looking at her saying, do something. Do, do something. You're the mother. Do something. She's looking back at him. You're the head of the household. Do something. Nothing's happening. And everything is quiet. Chris is sitting in the middle of the floor. And it's quiet. You can cut the silence with a knife. He's just said, I am of no value to the world. What do you say to a kid like? Glenn said he was paralyzed, his wife was paralyzed, just couldn't, didn't, what do you do? The three-year-old daughter, his sister, gets up, goes over, kneels down behind him, he's sitting on the floor playing, had been playing, put her arm around him and said, Chris, I love you. Just like that. He was restored. Chris, I love you. Just like that, restored. 
Glenn said, I've never seen. He said, I've never been prouder of my children and more especially proud of my three-year-old who outwitted all of us because she reminded us of how God loves us. And that's the focus of this parable, that God loves you, that you're a person of worth to yourself, to others, but most of all and most importantly, person of worth to God. So important that his son, Jesus Christ, hung on the cross for my sins and your sins, the sins of the entire world. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man shall lay down his life for his friends. The hymn writer says it so well, Julia Robertson, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, infinite grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all ours. That is the message of this marvelous, marvelous parable, that God's love is greater than all of our sin and all of our failure. Let's bow and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come with gratitude and thanksgiving for a God who loves us when we are unlovable, a God who has provided for us life everlasting through his son dying on Calvary's cross. And we pray that we may be able in the living of our lives to affirm our own worth and to affirm the worth of others in our homes, in our families, in our circle of friends, within our church, within our Christian family. And we pray, our Father, that you would help us to be able to reach out to others and share the goodness and the graciousness of our God as he surrounds us with his love and says, I love you, and therefore I sent Christ to die for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Perhaps this morning you have a decision, a commitment you need to make. Maybe you need to come and join this family of God that meets in this place. Share with them in ministry. Maybe you need to come and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never trusted Him and asked Him to come into your heart and life and accepted Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Or perhaps you need to come and recommit, rededicate your life to Christ. Whatever God has led you and leads you to do during this invitation, you come as we stand together and sing our hymn of invitation. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.